Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is a joy to be with you another day, another Wednesday evening, where we have the privilege and honor to reflect and really continue to reflect right into the book of Revelation. We are going to get into chapter 13, and I say we because I do have Debbie Rosales with me. Debbie, great to have you with me another evening. It's wonderful to be here. So, Debbie, I was just saying there... We are going to get into chapter 13, but I'm not sure if we are going to get into chapter 13, because (laughs) before we start to read those verses, I think it's best, as we move from chapter 12 to chapter 13, to reflect about how we think about the beast, because chapter 13 is about the beast, and I should say beasts, huh? Mm -hmm. Um, And if we're going to better understand what this chapter is all about, we have to first reflect more deeply into how we think about the beast, certainly the verses themselves will allow us to reflect upon that, but there are some pieces we do need to talk about before we go there. And again, I'm not sure if we're going to be able to do that this evening because we only have a very short time together. (laughs) Um, And so what can we say about the beast off the top? Well, we must remember that, Debbie, we are in the book of Revelation. And why is that significant? Because if we're going to understand the end of the story, we must first understand the beginning of the story. God is a great author. Uh, He authors salvation history. And like any great author, he is going to come full circle. If you want to understand any book, read the book ends, right? Well, in the Bible, the book ends are Genesis and Revelation. So if we're going to understand the beast, we must first go back to the book of Genesis. And in particular, Debbie, if we're going to understand the beast as we ought, we must read Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 to 31, that has us reflecting upon the significance of the sixth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth every kind of living creature, tame animals, crawling things, and every kind of wild animal. And so it happened. God made every kind of wild animal, every kind of tame animal, and every kind of thing that crawls on the ground. God saw that it was good. And then God said, Let us make human beings in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the tame animals, all the wild animals, and all the creatures that crawl on the earth. God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fertile and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air and all the living things that crawl on the earth. God also said, see, I give you every seed bearing plant on all the earth and every tree that has seed bearing fruit on it to be your food. And to all the wild animals, all the birds of the air, and all the living creatures that crawl on the earth, I give all the green plants for food. And so it happened. God looked at everything he had made and found it very good. Evening came and morning followed the sixth day. Amen. 
So there we have the sixth day mm -hmm. where Adam was created on the same day as the beast. Now, mm -hmm. we should say up the top, Debbie, that for six days, Adam's vocation was what? But to work and reign over all of creation as king. But that was not enough. Because if that was enough, he would just, over time, behave like that of the beast. Remember, the beast is a symbol of our fallen nature, essentially a symbol of our sinfulness. So to work and reign as a king isn't enough. So he creates the seventh day, and the seventh day he hallowed, so that we might not only rest but worship. Mindful that the Hebrew word for hallowed is um, menuha, which literally means to be made holy or to be set apart for holiness, right? right. So mm -hmm. if we are going to become holy as God calls us to be holy and enter into this kind of, Debbie, universal vocation of holiness, we need to enter into the seventh day. And if we don't enter into the seventh day, what are we doing? We can work. We can busy ourselves with all the things that God calls us to do. But what is its purpose? Mm -hmm. Remember that the Hebrew word for day is yom right? Yom, we, we are probably familiar with that word because Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, so Yom is day. That best translates as purpose-driven time. Mm. Purpose-driven time. So God creates in six days, okay, but there's purpose to it, right? and it all points towards the seventh day, essentially the summit of creation. And what takes place on the seventh day? But worship. Worship worship. And as Christians and as Catholics, how do we talk about, Debbie, the Eucharist, but the source and the summit of our right. faith? Because on the seventh day, we become a new creation. Mm -hmm. You see what's going on here? We are made to appreciate the significance of worship as it relates to our human tendencies, dare I say, our beastly tendencies. If right. we cease to worship, and this is the biblical vision, if we cease to worship, we will behave like beasts, right? We will regress to those animal instincts, if you will. Adam had dominion over creation, but the moment he ceases to worship, creation will get the best of him. Mm -hmm. Creation will get the best of him. So essentially, some of our conversation, Debbie, has to be about worship. Right. Worship, because this is ultimately the counter virtue to this beastly nature that is inside all of us. That's the reality. You know, right. As long as we are vested with the flesh, we are going to battle the flesh. And so the first way to overcome this is through worship. And I love that we're going into this a little bit because um, I think uh, the day of worship, the holiness of the Sabbath has kind of lost some mm. of its luster yeah. <laughs> among Christians. Yeah. And uh it's just so important to our spiritual life and to our spiritual journey. You know, Williamson in our on Revelation gives some great definitions of worship and, on the contrary, to idolatry. He says this, Those who worship God become like him. And contrarily, what we worship, we become like. In idolatry, this puts us in relationship with demons. Mm. Ay, 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 ay. Yes. Um, so worship means to bow down, to prostrate oneself, to acknowledge the greatness of the one being worshipped. 
that's a beautiful thought. We resemble what we worship. We resemble what we worship. Mm. So if we've forgotten to worship the Lord on one day out of seven, (laughs) how lost are we going to be? Um, what do we spend that time on the seventh day with? What what are we idolizing? Yeah, it's interesting. As Peter Williamson is reflecting into worship there, I am made to reflect upon the Hebrew word for knee. The Hebrew word for knee, Debbie, is barak. Barak. It actually literally means to kneel. It's a cognitive of barak, which is knee. And in the Old Testament, to kneel was a sign of strength. Right, a sign mm-hmm. of strength. This is why the Anawim of God were so strong. The Anawim in the Hebrew for the poor in God literally translates to be bent over or to be on bending knee, right? Right. It was symbolic of strength because of what Peter Williamson just said. We receive everything from him. And moreover, Debbie, it's the disposition of worship. Of worship. Worship is at the heart of just not the Old Testament, but certainly also the New Testament. Oh, absolutely. You know, the Greek proskuneo is used 59 times in the New Testament. That's the Greek for worship or also to kneel. To kneel. 59 mm-hmm. times. And half those times, I think it's 20-something, I believe, is found in the book of Revelation. Right? Mm-hmm. So the very thing we are talking about now, yeah, has to be foundational right. to how we start not only talking about uh, worship, but again, how worship opens us up into a relationship with the divine, right. because it is only there that we are going to understand the ways of the beast. Right. And only there are we going to understand what God is calling us to, to yeah, enter who into Who do we want day. to be in a relationship with? Yeah. Honestly, that's yep. what it is. Yep. Do you want to be in a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ? Do you want to be in a relationship with demons? Mm-hmm. That's pretty black and white. I once heard a talk, Debbie, given by Father Michael Scanlon, the former president of Franciscan University of Steubenville in Ohio, and he said something that has always stayed with me, and it, it was a talk on evangelization, and he said that we have to remember Satan evangelizes. Oh. I thought, mm, mm. that's interesting. Yeah. I never really thought about that. Since then, I've thought about it a lot. What is he talking about? Well, when we sit down and plop ourselves in front of the television, and we watch sin... Sin is evangelizing us, right? Mm -hmm. We become drunk with sin, and over time, we become desensitized and callous to sin. Yes. But there's another kind of callous we are called to have, Debbie, and that's the callous of knees. The callous of knees. And saying that, I'm made to reflect upon something. Benedict XVI, in the spirit of the liturgy, I think has a very poignant reflection for us. So he's reflecting upon the very thing that we're talking about right now, the importance of worship and the importance of uh, kneeling, again, as that virtue helps us overcome the adversary. He says this, There is much more that we might add. And again, he's been talking about kneeling and worship. For example, there is the touching story told by Eusebius in his history of the church. Apparently, St. James, the brother of the Lord, the first bishop of Jerusalem and head of the Jewish Christian church had a kind of callous on his knees. Ha! Huh? Had a kind of callous on his knees because he was always on his knees worshiping God and begging forgiveness for his people. And I love this piece, Debbie. There is a story that comes from the sayings of the Desert Fathers. 
according to which the devil was compelled by God to show himself to a certain Abba Apollo. He looked black and ugly with frighteningly thin limbs, but most strikingly, he had no knees. Oh. He had no knees. Oh, that's interesting. The inability to kneel, as Benedict says, is seen as the very essence of the diabolical. Mm. They have it, Debbie, right there. Wow. Right? Why do we go to worship on the seventh day to overcome the diabolical? If we cease to worship, if we cease to kneel, what happens? Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. <laughs> so provocative. And by that, I mean, it should provoke something within us, mm-hmm. a response within us. I dare say to kneel. What did the Magi do? Mm-hmm. But they laid themselves prostrate, right. humble before the infant king. Right. Humble before the infant king. So this is what is before us to enter into the seventh day. Benedict XVI also said, after his first trip to the United States, United States of America, please let all of the other six days that you live be a reflection of who you worship on the seventh day. Mm, Beautiful. Right. Beautiful. And what is he talking about there? But as you go deeper in your courtship with Christ, in your courtship with God, especially in the reception of the Eucharist and the reception of the Lamb of God, you are transformed into a new creation Mm -hmm. in Christ. And as such, Debbie, everything that we do outside of that should be a reflection of who we have received. Mm -hmm. And maybe I should say better, right? That in the light of who we have received, he is now living in us, right? What did St. Paul say? It is no longer I living, but Christ who lives in me. So once again, all of this discussion is about juxtaposing the beast with proper worship, with proper worship. And what freedom, brothers and sisters, put away your honeydew to-do list on Sunday. Put it away. Give yourself the freedom to worship. There's freedom in that. Give yourself the freedom to worship. Put away the list. Put away the I gotta do. You're only thing to do on Sunday would be to worship. I would yeah. put that at the top of your Sunday Sabbath to-do list. Please, Lord, help me enter into worship, into thanksgiving, mm-hmm. which is what Eucharist means. Let's enter into what we are thankful for, for those other six days and the six days going forward. Let's focus on gratitude and worship and thanksgiving which is the proper attitude in, to have, for Christians to have. Amen, Debbie. And you know, <laughs> what did Benedict just say? The inability to kneel is seen as the very essence of the diabolical. Well, what does the word diabolical mean? It literally means to scatter, to confuse, mm-hmm. to, to create all sorts of side glances. Essentially, Debbie, to get us busy. Right. To get us busy. So the Absolutely. one day to worship the one true God has become the one day now we do everything but worship the one true God. Right. And it's just not going to mass. It really right. is resting. Right. You know, it's enjoying. It's more than one those, hour. Yes, those around <laughs> you. It's encountering one another, entering into the experience of the very divine life of God, which is anywhere and everywhere and all the time, love shared. So we enter into that in a very unique way on Sunday. Sunday has been literally, right, set apart. Right. 
it is different. So we are to enter into, well, if the six days, the six days was about Adam working and governing as king, the seventh day is about entering into not our kingly identity, but also our priestly identity. I think for some of us, Debbie, <laughs> part of the problem is we just don't think the seventh day is what it is. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. what has God given us in sacred scripture that would point to the Eucharist being the source and summit of our faith? Earlier this week, I really focused in on John 6 mm-hmm. as the new manna that feeds us in the desert. And I know you had something on your heart to share as it relates to John 6 within the context of what we're talking about now. John 6, what is that about? It is called the uh, Bread of Life Discourse. And in that teaching, it's interesting, I just did a teaching on the Eucharist um, Wednesday night for the RCIA, and I said, as I'm reading this passage in chapter 6, will you please write down, just little check marks, how many times the Lord refers to himself as bread and food? And I see them making these little click marks, and their face, you know, they're incredulous how many times. Well, in the passage 6, verse 6-6, so 666, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have this very interesting teaching. As a result of this teaching on the bread of life, i.e. the Eucharist, verse 66 says, as a result of this, many of his disciples returned to their former way of life and no longer accompanied him. They abandoned him over this passage on the bread of life. And then in 67, 66 is the correct, but then he turns to the 12 and says, do you also want to leave? Mm-hmm. Folks, he was ready to, leave, to lose everyone over this teaching, the source and summit of his teaching, I would say, because it's the only time he's ready to say, you can all go, because this is that important. If you do not eat of my flesh and do not drink of my blood, you have no life you have in no you. Life. And the Jews respond, Lord, are you kidding me? This right. is barbaric imagery. So right there, you already know this is not, this is unequivocally in the Greek, not symbolic. This is, is not symbolic. He is saying, I am the Lamb of God. Unless you eat of the flesh, unless you actually eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. That's and huge. When he could have backed out, Debbie, right. he doubled down. Yeah. And as I noted earlier right. this week, the Greek is very important here because up to verse 53, the Greek was estheo and fago for eat. And that is the more conventional way of mm-hmm. how we might think of eating when we go to eat breakfast, lunch, or dinner, right? But in verse 54, the Greek changes. And it's a dramatic change because now he emphasizes this idea of nine, nine, yeah, mm-hmm. nine chewing, chewing on specifically on animal stock. And what's more, the next Greek he uses is this future tense. For Christ, he wants us to understand that we are to, to chew and to gnaw always. 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 Everlasting it, memorial. Amen. And I think it was a week ago or two weeks ago, you were with me, Debbie, that, uh, I had made the point, you know, we have 346,000 priests. And if you do the math with that, that means if the priests are saying mass every day, that four hosts are being consecrated every second of every day. Indeed, this is a perpetual banquet. Indeed, this is about 
constantly consuming Christ each and every day. We're talking about the seventh day, and that, of course, is important. But as Christians and as Catholics, that's the minimum. Really, right. we are being asked to go as much as possible, mm-hmm. right? And if it's right. just Sunday, okay, it's just Sunday. But let us remember what we are talking about here. We are talking about entering into an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. If I've said it once, I've said it I don't know how many times. I've been asked a lot in my life, do you have a personal relationship with your Lord Jesus Christ? Right. And I say yes. And not only that, I have the most intimate relationship yes. with our Lord Jesus Christ because in the Eucharist, in the Eucharist, God actually enters into a bridal union with our very souls. And again, Debbie, what does this do? What does this mean within the context of the beast? We become essentially agents of mercy, and especially in the light of the book of Revelation, agents of one who understand how God works in everyday life. What do I mean? What am I getting at? Well, if you read further in the book of Revelation, and we'll talk much more about this when we get there, we read of the number 666. The only other time we read of the number 666 in sacred scripture is in 1 Kings chapter 10. I believe it's verse 14. When Solomon has amassed 666 talents of gold in taxes. Now, why does the book of Revelation actually refer to Solomon, oh, by the way, when it's talking about the sign of the beast? Mm-hmm. Why do we all know Solomon? Why do we read Solomon? Because he's the one who was wise. Mm-hmm. What is the sign of the beast? Well, to take this great spiritual gift of wisdom and to use it for your own selfish gain. This is what Solomon did, and this is a great sign of the beast. If the beast is a symbol of our fallen humanity, of our fallen nature, then let it be known and understood, Debbie, as it relates to the passage that talks about 666. When we take something that that God has given to us, pure gift, and use it for our own selfish gain, that is a distinct sign of the beast. And of course, in this case, we're talking about wisdom. So when I talk about entering into this relationship with God so as to gain insight and access into the ways of God and how he works in the world, this is a unique and special gift because this is the very thing that ultimately Satan wanted to usurp, right? Satan wanted to plagiarize. And so we appreciate this truth for what it is as we sink deeper into our relationship with God on bended knee, right? so that we might come to understand how God might work in this moment or that moment. You know, the thing of it is, Debbie, everyone has an opinion, (laughs) right? And generally speaking, that opinion is based upon what they see on the surface. But God always says, go deeper, get underneath the surface. Yes, you see what's on the surface, but how might I use this moment, whatever that moment is, so as to draw you and your family and your community closer to me? Because in the end, it's about one word, salvation of souls. Here on earth, we give glory to God. Certainly, this is our vocation, but it points towards salvation of souls. And so Satan doesn't want that, right? As we talked yesterday, we were reflecting, Debbie, into Satan's short time, right? Mm -hmm. He has a short time. Yeah. Even if it is the 2,000 years, that in the context of infinity is a very, very brief time. Right. So... Who are we going to work with? 
Satan or God? Right. Are we going to allow Satan to evangelize us or are we going to enter into that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and start to love, start to care, start to give glory to God? We can't do it without him. You stop going to mass, you stop entering into worship, game over. Oh, game over. Yeah. Because what you will slip into. And unfortunately, Debbie, I think we are seeing this in more pockets. In the United States of America are these beastly tendencies. Remember that love is always creative. Love creates. And one of the things that Satan cannot do is create. He can only imitate. Yeah. Yeah. And that is a boy. That is an important little sentence there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, he has no ability to create. He can confuse, as you said. He can imitate. He can pretend. He can make things look good. You know, well, I believe in abortion, not for myself, but, you know, if a woman is unhealthy, if she's this, if she's that, it appears like we're doing it for some kind of good. That is Satan incarnate. Yeah, Debbie, as I was mentioning the other day, if you call a truth a lie, it never stops ceasing to be a truth. huh? Or if you call a lie a truth, it will always be a lie. Truth itself is not subject to time. huh? Because the nature of truth itself, Debbie, is absolute. Right. It's absolute and unchanging. What does Jesus Christ himself say? Not I am a way, a truth, a life, but the way, mm. the truth, and the life. And absolute. Yes. Yes. And these are the kinds of things that we are made to critically reflect upon. Satan, who, as John reminds us, is the father of all lies, wants to confuse that greatest truth. Right. Right? That greatest truth. What was the first temptation? Right? What was the first temptation in the desert? What are we talking about right now? Satan wants mm. to flip upside down how we think about worship. Mm-hmm. how we think about worship. And so we reflect upon worship as the center, the center as it relates to our faith, because without it, we slip into our beastly tendencies, those tendencies that we will continue to explore um, next week. I don't know, Debbie, if you have any closing thoughts to our ever so brief discussion on the beast. <laughs> it is. It always goes so quickly. Today, we're living this pattern, folks. The Christian life, suffering, persecution, death, life, signs, wonders, all of it. Take your example from the saints. Persevere. Live a life centered on the Eucharist, and Mm. you shall not fail. As always, Debbie, great to have you with me. Thanks for the gift of your time, and why don't we go ahead and close with the word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you special thanks and praise for the gift of the book of Revelation to reflect upon the richness of of your word, your word that is inspiring and inspires us to to become better versions of who you are calling us to be. We pray all of these things in your most holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. And amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.